Ocean Cast, the number one Hot Springs hating podcast. My name is Matt, and joining me today is a very special guest, Matt. Hi, I am here. Hey, welcome on, Matt. Did so, that sound natural enough? I'm not sure if that sounded. I think too you might natural. have actually come off as too natural. Yeah. Like I almost didn't believe that you did not have a pre-recorded response. Yeah, exactly. It's like, are we in the same room? I don't know. It just sounds like a couple of dudes having a normal conversation, welcoming an, a, an unspeaking third party. <laughs> well, uh, in, in that case, what I would say to that unspeaking third party is that we're about to discuss week four of the fall season, covering all sports anime from October 22nd to uh, October 28th. And, well, it's not speaking, so that's probably why that third party's not responding to that <laughs> statement. So. Cool. Well, hey uh, Matt, I have a question for you. Oh well, do tell. Yeah, it uh, came to us in a express registered mail. Um, it was. Uh, it has a, a postmark address from uh, Des Moines, Iowa. Oh uh, wow, that's really far away from me. Yeah, but. Luckily, it is me. Oh, um, okay. So this question from me to you is, um, do you have, like, a system for when you do laundry? Like, like, do you fold your shirts on the laundry machine? Or do you, like, pile them in the basket and then fold them back in your apartment? Or, like, what's your whole process for laundry? I throw them in the dryer. So, basically what I do is I throw my laundry in the washer, I take them out, throw them in the dryer, and then when they're done, I immediately hang them up. That is my system. <coughs> wait, so, like... Wait, do you not fold clothes because you put... Oh, wait, I'm remembering this. You just put everything on a hanger. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I don't really have a need for, like, folding stuff, because I only have, like, a couple of pairs of pants I wear anyway, so that would be the one thing I and, wouldn't but, need to fold. But you hang all your shirts? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I don't really have any shirts I keep folded at all. I just hang everything up, so... It's really not like... I don't really have much of a system. I basically throw things in the laundry and then yeah. and play a game while I'm waiting for them to be done. Oh. So how about you, Matt? What do you do? Well, uh... This is what people come here for, so I figured <laughs> they should know. Um, so we have... Uh, I, I live in a house now, and we have washer-dryer in our basement. And uh, so, yeah, I'll put them in the washer. And then I'll separate out the stuff that I want to air-dry, because sometimes oh. I have stuff that I don't put in the dryer. Like, I don't put my jeans in the dryer. I air-dry those. And, like, my sweatshirts and some of my long-sleeve shirts, I air-dry. Um, but the stuff I do dry... I will usually take it back upstairs and I'll like, yeah, I'll do, I'll do the same thing. I'll like listen to a podcast or put on a baseball game and then, uh, I'll, I'll fold them. But like, yeah, the, the means of folding has been, uh, some, some measure of debate between me and my beloved wife, because like I have my method, she has her method, her method is better, but I'm defiant for no reason. Right. Well, you know, you gotta adhere to tradition, you know? Like, exactly. you have a system, you gotta follow it. It's really hard to break that sometimes, so I get it. It is. Uh, and we don't have, like, a ton of hanging space, so I do... Uh, also, I don't hang t-shirts, because that's, you know... I don't know, that's just too high class for me. I think I've it... always said that about you. You were just a little too high class for me. <laughs> <laughs> I think for me, really, it's just more the fact that I have, like, as a... 
Like, I actually don't have a lot of space for, like, uh, drawers or cabinets. Yeah. So, I literally... But I have, like, a ton of hanging space in my closet. So, that's why I pretty much just hang everything. Yeah. I get it. Okay, let's talk about an anime. <laughs> <laughs> sure thing. But you don't think that they're finally going to get around to doing that extreme laundry uh, anime anytime soon? I feel like a competitive laundry anime would be right up our alley. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Like, even if we weren't doing Koshi and Cast, we would be all over that. Oh, yeah, we would. Um, <laughs> I just worry that it would turn turn into, like, a harem show. No, you're pro- I mean, I don't know how else it would turn out. I, I mean, mean, Clean Freak was kind of like that. Yeah, a little bit, actually. But it, it didn't go... But it wasn't really focused on the laundry. Like, if they had no. just focused on the laundry, it would have been a lot better, I think. I agree. Um, anyway, you want to talk about March Comes In Like a Lion this week? Sure. Alright, so March Comes In Like a Lion, episode 25? Yes, 25. 25. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so the episode starts off with Mr. Smith being impressed by the size of Kumakura's <laughs> shoes and then playing with them. Uh, and then <laughs> Ray and Nikaido uh, talk over the newcomer tourney, which they're getting in. Uh, Nikaido says a lot of brash and loud things, and Ray gets embarrassed. Um, and then, uh, as Ray is going to his next match in the newcomers tournament, he sort of reminisces. He 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 recognizes some bushes that were present at his elementary school, and he starts to reminisce, and he realizes, like, oh wait, am I nostalgic for my youth? And he's like. Oh, no, no, this isn't nostalgia, this is trauma. Um, <laughs> and he has an extended flashback about how kids would bully him in elementary school and call him a robot, and how he alienated himself from his adopted brother and sister uh, because they thought he was sucking up to their mom, and the fact that he would have these panic attacks about being bullied forever and he eventually dove fully into shogi uh, just as a way of shutting out his <coughs> anxiety about social relationships and it became sort of all-consuming and that's what got him to the point where he is at now where he was pretty confidently able to win his second match in the tournament right um so i guess for me one of the things i thought was really interesting about this episode actually uh, we actually got a little insight on uh, Coda's uh, biological son, actually. Uh, because if I recall, we really did not know anything at all about Ayumu. Yeah. Uh, just because, like, all we had heard was that he had basically turned into, like, a neat, essentially. He basically yep. spends all of his time just playing video games in his room. Uh, but what I thought was interesting about that was... Uh, like, so, Kyoko has always been seen as being the anti antagonizing force in uh, Ray's life. Yeah. Uh, what I thought was interesting about that is that he wasn't just getting it from Kyoko. He was getting a lot of it from Ayumu, too. Uh, just the fact because he would be like, well, why don't you ask Ray to do it? Because Ray always wants to try and desperately, like, fit in or whatever. It's like, he has all this free time to study Shogi. Why don't you ask him? And then, you know, Ray just sort of jumps on the chance to, you know actually like you know like show why he could be useful around the house and what does he get ayumu is basically like uh you know you're being so obvious about trying to score points with my mother or like exactly and, and he's it's just like, like okay well my whole family just died and uh my adoptive mother is nice to me and i <coughs> like that and they're like ugh, stop ugh sucking what a loser up. 
yeah, you're just a creep. You're not even from here. Right, exactly. And it, I think it really kind of uh, highlighted why it's so difficult for Ray to even fit in anywhere. When he doesn't, like, when he's getting that even at home, like, yeah. he, like, he goes, because you almost get the sense, really, that, you know, in a lot of anime, you kind of get this whole, like, a lot of people just want to stay home because they don't want to deal with going to school at all. Because, you know, like, school is where all the bullies are, you know, it's where, they ha- where they're where they being forced to interact with people. Right. Here you almost see why Ray does go to school, because it's almost better than being at the house. As, like, miserable as he is at school, he at least has opportunities for peace. Yeah, exactly, because he's like, yeah, people bully me, but eventually I just figured out how to get ignored by people, <clears throat> and I would right. just go read by myself. Uh, I, I did really like that uh, a shot that they did in this episode uh, when you saw him, like when you saw Ray getting bullied by the kids, like the other kids. It was just like the the camera just sort of lingered on this can that was thrown, and you don't like you never really saw much of the impact of this can being thrown or anything mm-hmm. like that. But the fact that you actually see the rocks coming out of it, it's like. Because, like, this can was basically filled with rocks. Yeah. It's like, that could have seriously, like, injured Ray. Yeah. Like, good luck. It's like, these kids are just so unnecessarily cruel. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, man, that just, that really just sort of highlighted Ray's, uh, uh, sort of Ray's isolation almost. Like, why he just didn't want to be around people. Yeah. Um. I thought, I thought it was really enlightening that you know how did i get out of this spiral of sort of being alienated and bullied by people it wasn't that shogi was sort of dragging him down it was that shogi was the only thing keeping him afloat and he uses that very direct imagery of the drowning and (laughs) the like almost not drowning and holding on to a shogi board for dear life because it was the only thing that was consistent like i think a lot of his anxiety and it, it makes sense that his anxiety was born out of the fact that he was trying to do the right thing and people still hated him for it or right. just like by the way he talked or the way he acted people would hate and resent him and he still couldn't figure out why why right. it was that people were so frustrated by him and the so the only thing that wouldn't react like that was shogi because shogi made sense and he could always learn more from it and people respected him and enjoyed being around him when he was at the shogi hall and that was the only sanctuary so he clung to that sanctuary and he turned it into being the only thing he lived for so like it makes sense to sort of go back and then see like oh where did this show start it was him never going to school um just in this bare apartment with nothing but a shogi board doing nothing except orienting his life around shogi miserable but still doing it. it's like okay well how do you get there you get there because shogi's the only thing that's any good for you but right. when when you make it the only thing in your life you you can't really live a full life like that right right exactly and what i thought was really interesting about what this episode did as well is that in the very end in the post credit sequence uh, you get that scene where uh, where Hina comes home, and you you know it's very clear that she's you know she's uh, missing her shoes and everything like that, and you know it's very clear that she was just she just got bullied herself essentially mm. like 
she's getting bullied. She's clearly being bullied by her own classmates, effectively. Yeah. Uh, and Ray, you almost get the sense he recognizes what's going on immediately because, um, you know, he's been through that. He know he knows the tricks. Yeah, he knows what people do. Yeah, in these sorts of situations, and I think that's kind of interesting because we have only ever seen Ray attempt to uh, relate to people via shogi. Like that's the because I mean that's effectively the only thing. I think he thinks he knows. Yeah. Uh, and what I thought was really neat about that is that, like, I think what we're going to see here going forward is Ray is going to understand how can he can actually talk to somebody on a personal level. Like, he actually can, you know, he has experience that he can share with Hina about what she can do to kind of, like, deal with this trauma, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just a way of relating to her on a little deeper level because you know last season he tried to teach her shogi but he wasn't that engaging and the kaido ended up taking over and right. so he clearly he wants to have a meaningful relationship with him and and he does to an extent um right but, but this I this think... is a way that he can relate to her that akari couldn't right exactly and i, I think what we also kind of see there I, I think that was kind of interesting what you brought up there about uh about how he did try and relate to her on a different level. Because I think last season what we saw is... We saw Ray sort of reacting a lot to her. Mm-hmm. Like there was the scene where she uh, where she kind of broke down and cried in front of him. Yeah. For example. And you know, he doesn't really know how to deal with the situation outside of just kind of stand there and listen to her. Right. Like that's all Ray has really been able to do up to this point. He kind of... He's kind of more, almost like a traveler, almost. Like, he can kind of, he kind of goes along and he sort of sees what people are going through. And he can kind of just sort of, like, he can try and understand it, but there's not really a whole lot he can actually offer for them, effectively. He's the observer. Yeah, exactly. Whereas uh, this entire episode was basically setting up how he might actually be able to relate with another person beyond just Shogi. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I thought I thought it was good. I mean, there was some other fluff in there. You know, it, it set up stuff about you know the sisters and they're making a new candy for the summer, and that was like fun and goofy and pleasant. And Momo right. was cute and stuff, but didn't, <laughs> I don't know if that has much bearing on the future. It was cool to see the new tournament. I mean, hopefully, what I I, I think probably in the next episode or two we'll get a real more of a match focused episode where it's really about the strategy of a shogi match because right uh, uh, until now it's been a little and, and the show goes back and forth with this sometimes the matches will be earnestly strategic and sometimes they'll be just more metaphorical right. it'll be about the mindset of the person experiencing it and not really about who's winning and losing right right yeah definitely definitely but anyway it was i, I was encouraged watching it because i watched uh two car and welcome to the ballroom first <laughs> gosh are you just not so happy we finally have back something that's really good and interesting i mean march comes in like a lion is good but following those two shows it's really good <laughs> right oh my lord like, yeah so uh, speaking I... of which do you want to talk about welcome to the ballroom yeah i guess um i'm just gonna so this was episode i want to say 16 so 17 uh, 17 my bad um, so, first of all, forgive me if this episode, if this summary goes on just a little long. Uh, there was so much that happened this episode. 
Um, so the very beginning, we see the fallout of uh, Tadara and Shinatsu's fight. Uh, Chinatsu is kind of sulking in her room before Hyoto goes to get her to get her to, to practice with Rei. Uh, she and Rei, uh, and what they want him, her, the two of them to do is to do, uh, blind tempo practices, uh, effectively, so that they can kind of see how well synced up they are. Uh, and what they discover is that they are actually not. They are actually, like, their tempos are basically completely off. They both kind of imagine their dances uh, at a different pace than the other one does. Uh, so they do some practices where they keep their eyes closed during the dance. Uh, it does not work out very well for them. Uh, then we have a hot spring sequence where <laughs> every all of the uh, everybody kind of gathers together. You know, the boys are chatting along. Uh, basically, this is broken up by uh, Marissa calling out to the boys about whether or not Tadara likes Chinatsu, and he doesn't really have an answer for her, because, I mean, come on, they're all naked and it's all very embarrassing. Um, then we have another section where uh, all of them go out for a lovely day on the town because Gaju just wants to have a break, and uh, Tadara and Chinatsu get into another fight over uh, how the two of them can't seem to really sync up or get along, and... Uh, Chinatsu gets some encouragement from Mako, who was already paired up, you know, with Tadara before. And what she learned was that she needs to, like, she needed to basically prove how she was the only par partner for Gaju. And so that's what Chinatsu probably needs to work on, too. Meanwhile, Tadara learns from Shizuku that he needs to, like, ba basically be a little bit more willing to open up to Chinatsu. And then the two, they pair up. They're still fighting, but they are getting better. Yeah. Um, gosh, there was just so much in this episode. And I just kind of felt like it was really rushing through manga chapters, effectively. Yeah, yeah, because that, that's the thing. There was a lot <coughs> of story beats, but you didn't right. really get to feel the impact of any of them. Right, like, I think the major one for me was the, the fact that we didn't feel the training that they went through um so they because they had this whole sequence where the two of them were supposed to practice dancing with their eyes closed literally all we see is the two of them struggling a little bit and then that's it like we don't see any of the fruits of that what either one of them really gains from having that practice uh i don't know i don't really get a sense of any like what that even accomplished outside of making both of them even angrier with one another yeah i mean I think that was supposed to be it. I do have a question about that because, well, so the premise of the blind dancing was that only the female is blind, right? So right. they're dancing together and it's just, it's basically supposed to be focused on training the partner to follow the leader based on sensations other than sight, which... Right you know makes some level of sense i'm not a yeah, dancer yeah. but like it seems like okay that might be useful to be able to like feel body language and adjust based on that um right so that's all well and good i guess aside from the fact that it's like <coughs> there's some language about you know training the partner to be more malleable to the leader's will and that sort of thing yeah um, yeah which i guess i just have to expect now <laughs> um, <laughs> but well, because that's thing because this episode actually addressed that with shinatsu being like i really hate how like dancing 
like I, I get really frustrated that I am expected to dance like, like my partner that the leader is going to get all the credit for it. Basically, exactly. You know? I mean, she calls it out as like, I'm tired of dancing's male supremacy. Right. And I think that like part like couples that just do whatever the leader wants have boring dancing. Right. I'm like, yeah. Why hasn't anyone said this before episode 17? Yeah. But I mean, the problem here is that like, I feel like that scene was there to set up the fact that she needs to learn to get over that. Which... Yeah, it wasn't clear whether the show agreed with her. Right. And I, I mean, here's kind of my bigger issue with this all, like, overall. So, as we kind of know, the show is very clumsily using dancing as sort of a relationship metaphor, right? Yeah. Um, And basically, what I feel like the show is saying... Like, okay, Tadara and Shinatsu have never done anything but fight with one another. Like, we have never really seen the two of them actively happy with the other, effectively. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know, there's something very concerning to me about that. Like, the fact that they are trying to basically, like, sort of pair these two characters together... But we never really see why either character really wants to be with the other one outside of, oh, well, I need a dance partner, and they were around, basically. Yeah, exactly. Um, And so it kind of just well, feels like to me... Oh, go ahead. Well, no, I was just going to supplement that. Of there, There's a point near the end where Chinatsu says, well, I need to make this relationship work because no, no one other than Tadara is going to want to pair with me uh, so if this doesn't work, I'll never be in a, a couple again. Right, yeah, exactly. Like, wait, wait, what? Like, I, I am so difficult to work with because of whatever my background of being a leader that no one but Tadaro would dare and put up this, with me. This is not a healthy relationship, exactly. basically. Like, I... I get the sense that what this series is trying to do is, like, if you really want to be with somebody, you got to work through the problems. And you know what? That's true. Like, there is no couple out there that doesn't fight. And if you are in a relationship that doesn't fight, that relationship is not going as well as you think it is. Um, But the problem is, they do nothing but fight. Yeah. Like, we have never really seen these two characters ever get along. I don't understand what they actually get from one another, you know? Like, you you, bear, you you deal with the difficult parts of a relationship to get to the good parts, like, or, you know, to get to the satisfying parts. And I have yet to see anything that really... <laughs> yeah, you're right. This is reminiscent of, I don't know, a non-functional relationship in which you stay together because you're terrified that no one else will love you. Yeah, exactly. And the weird and it's like the series is weirdly consistent with that and seems to almost like glamorize it. Well, yeah, exactly, because the the series seems to say like, <clears throat> "Yep, no one else will love you." Yeah, kind of <laughs> like nobody else will like you, Chinatsu, except for Tadra. So you better just stick with him. And it's like, what kind of message is that? Yeah. Ah, uh, just I am so so sick of this show. <laughs> I know. I mean, I, I do have to say the one upside is that it doesn't appear like Vasily is going to be showing up a whole bunch. Oh, and thank the Lord for that. <laughs> That's something. It's something. 
Yeah, I shouldn't have to be dreading the presence of Vasily, though. Yeah, fair enough. Something else that I uh, dread is the existence of <laughs> Two Car. Matt, okay. would you like to break down possibly the weirdest episode? Yet? Yeah, sure. So, okay, so Two Car, episode four. So this episode begins with uh, Nagisa dressed up in uh, Dominatrix gear, uh, lording over Izumi. Uh, and when you wake up, you uh, it turns out to be a dream. Uh, but where she is dominant over uh, Izumi, what we find out is in this episode is that Izumi is actually a very nice person to everybody except Nagisa. Uh, Nagisa seems to be having some problems with the way she's racing, but she won't say anything to her. Uh, the two just simply won't talk out their problems, where have we seen this before? And uh, as it turns out, Megumi and Yuri end up getting involved in the middle of it because the two of them are having their own problems because they keep eating each other's snacks. So they decide to have a race where they pe- team up with the other partner. So uh, Yuri pe- teams up with Nagisa and Megumi pairs up with Izumi. Uh, and it turns out both of the teams actually race pretty well. Like they both have a pretty decent drive. Uh, the episode ends with uh, Izumi slapping Nagisa and telling her that they're through. Yeah. 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 Um, so, Matt, thoughts? Oh, gosh. I mean, <laughs> number one, the, like, honestly, the number one thought was when the episode came on, I was just like, I am embarrassed <laughs> to be watching this, you know? I'm just viscerally uncomfortable watching right. this dream of these high school age <coughs> girls having this dom- like yeah like whipping each other and right. hitting each other in their dreams and i don't know it just i like what what's funny to me about that intro right is that and i think we talked about this a little bit before the episode before we started recording uh, what's really funny to me about this episode is that the beginning of this episode, I think that you go into it with the expectation of being confused, not because they have thrown a high school girl in a dominatrix gear at you, yeah. but it's like, oh, what's going on here? Nagisa is the dominant one here? I thought she was supposed to be the masochist. Right. Uh, but, and then it's like, then she wakes up and it's like, oh, it was just a dream. The only thing I really gathered from it, I knew that there was a like there was a team that was sado that had like a sado uh, masochistic relationship. All I got from that was like, oh okay, she's the she's the masochistic one. Okay, I forgot about that. Thanks for the reminder. It's like, oh wait, never mind. It was a dream. She's actually the passive one. As if the series is so arrogant to assume that I either know or care about which either which of these characters is which. Yeah, exactly. I mean. <sighs> Once again, the show <coughs> assumes we have some level of care or understanding about these characters. Right. Which we don't. Um, can I make a, a related inquiry? Um, oh, please. Is the rest of this show just going to be like two episode arcs about every pair of girls? Oh, yes. And then we're not actually going to watch a single race until episode 12 i mean i think that's pretty i think if a lot if the last pair of episodes didn't already confirm that i don't know what to tell you i'm pretty sure that's wh- exactly what is happening here it's just i i have okay so that's awful um it, it's clear that the show is trying to establish the some of the other pairs too because they'll have like random one-off scenes with them 
right. like this week they had a random one-off scene of <coughs> hitomi and mao um and uh mao is the girl who dresses in men's clothes right like, you know okay and they have this like romantic scene at what appears to be a hotel bar yeah and i'm like they're in high school right like <laughs> they're all in high school. so that was weird and then they like play a word game to show off how well they understand each other and then they like do ballet poses and show off their matching rings that they wear on their left index finger uh or left ring finger rather um and I'm just like, okay, so they're in high school, and they're at a bar, and they're married? Like, <laughs> I'm not going to lie, Matt. I was way more inter- I am way more interested in their story than I am in um, anybody else's. Well, either. they're the only ones that seem to have some depth, I guess. But what? what oh, I, I don't know I, about I, that. But okay, yeah, that's probably giving them too much credit. Um, <laughs> the reason I bring it up is that it had. In no bearing on anything else in the episode. It was a totally random insert. Right. Just to be like, oh, well, this will be relevant later. We'll have these two girls who say each other's name in every <coughs> dang sentence. Um, <laughs> and, you know, they'll get their arc later. And won't it be moving? Um, but... See, I kind of got the opposite impression. I kind of figure that because... Okay, so if we're doing two girls, and or if we're doing a pair of girls every two episodes, right? So oh, yeah, we we're going to run out of episodes. We're going to run out of episodes? It seems to me like if they're going to cut anybody, they're going to be the first, they're going to be the ones to cut. Oh, because, uh, because they don't you know, have any conflict to resolve? No, because they already said it in the episode. They're perfect. And, you know, the funny thing is, I think you could actually do something with that. You know, how they believe that, it like, they have this perfect relationship, but they actually don't. Um, but because, you know, they both have this uh, this assumption for what their relationship is like. Honestly, it's way more interesting to me than finding out about the issue with, like, the twins, people not being able to tell them apart and why they're okay with it or whatever. I don't care. Um, but it's like, hey, you know what? I'd be vaguely interested in hearing about that. But, again... I think the way they're kind of being played off as being the comedic, uh, kind of the comic relief here. So I kind of get the sense that we're not going to analyze them at all. Yeah. Mm. Um, which is honestly very disappointing to me. Yeah. So I have some other questions about this show. Um, are there any other vehicles on this island no uh because from <laughs> from what i can tell these girls are just hanging out in tents working on their bikes and whenever they feel like speeding at over 100 miles an hour around city streets there are no consequences to that decision right like, well because apparently they, they close just... off the roads i think yeah, but... they've mentioned that yeah they mentioned it for the race they closed down the roads are they just closing down the roads for a week so they can drive around whenever? I guess. Like, I don't know quite how this works. It seems to be a fairly small town. It's a fairly small island, so yeah. they don't seem to... I mean, if it's just, like, the one road, I guess. It's a ring road, though. They're like, that's a road that goes around the whole island. That's the whole uh, I guess that's fair. Um, so how can you close that? 
I don't or know. Or I, I feel like the show doesn't care. I mean, clearly I don't think it doesn't it does. care. I mean, Matt, like, you're pretending like the show actually cares about the sport of kneeling. Okay. Yeah. Here's another question. <coughs> uh, okay. So, all these girls are representing, like, their clubs from high schools? Right. So, do they, like, go to school? Or do they just travel around Japan for weeks at a time, staying in people's houses for free and (laughs) spending no money and having all these parts and items around i I believe that the one of them either yuri megumi uh one of the one of their parents actually owns an inn and that's where they're staying or maybe they both own inns i know that there is a hotel in there somewhere um because i know that that one of them has a hotel which is why they have the hot spring um so I'm pretty sure that's why they're able to stay there. Now, it seems like this is kind of the summertime, so they may be like doing these races over summer vacation, I guess. Um, but again, you know, the show gives us no reason to understand any part of this. Mm. And I think that's overall the, you know, I think you what you've touched upon there is basically the overall problem with the show is that we still have no context for absolutely anything. Um, I do have a question for you, though. Okay. Um, have you noticed... Um, I wanted to bring this up last episode. It, it's so minor, but it's so funny to me. Have you, by chance, noticed Yuri's mother? Uh, no? Okay, so look at next time... For next episode, because I'm sure she'll pop up again at some point... It's just the funniest thing to me because she is drawn because she is like drawn not to be look too much older than Yuri. She's clearly like an adult woman, but she looks like she is in her like mid twenties. Listen to her voice; it sounds like her voice and her her voice and her character appearance do not match at all because she sounds like she is in her mid to late fifties. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, it's it's like once you hear it, once you see it and hear it, it will not you will never not notice it. And it's I, I think that really highlights just how little effort or care went into the show. Yeah. Um. I mean, for example, like Fastest Finger First. I know people compa- complained about Fukami's like Fukami's voice actress in that, and how she you know she had this kind of like weirdly deep voice, but that works because they were kind of going for a more natural theme. In this, it's just weird and like. Like, completely out of place. Well, I believe you. <laughs> right. Well, hey, since we're on the subject of sadomasochism for this episode, you want to talk about Abe and uh, Mihashi in this episode of Big Windup? Ugh, I don't like that transition. <laughs> I don't like that. That gives the wrong impression about this show. No, that's fair. That's fair. I apologize. The, uh, But I do get what you're saying, because in this episode, Abe does worry that, like, he is too loud and that like Mahashi is afraid of him which has been an ongoing plot point but among other things in episode two of season two big wind up um hanai and abe's mom show up to the game and they uh discover that uh coach momoe actually went to nishiro when she was in high school which we know but she didn't play baseball she was the manager for the baseball team and it sounds like 
the leadership at the time didn't really understand baseball that well, so Momoe ended up doing a lot of the coaching for her high school classmates. Right. Um, but they sort of wonder where all those high school classmates are and what their relationship to Momoe was like. Uh, they don't get any answers for that yet, though. <laughs> um, they uh, So the boys end up watching the rest of the Sakitama game. Um, Sakitama ends up winning in extra innings behind the power <coughs> of their freshman catcher, uh, Daichi. Uh, he ends up being mortified by the fact that he enjoys playing baseball into extra innings, yada yada. <laughs> um, after the game, they, the Nishira boys sort of strategize around how best they're going to approach their next game against uh, Sakitama and uh, identify some weak points for the other team, and they make it their goal to get a shutout victory in order to preserve Mihashi's arm. Right. Um, so I think what I liked most about this episode is that I think this is the first time we've ever seen any real growth from Abe, at least the first time in a very long time. Uh, because, you know, we have had this building up for a little bit where Abe is realizing that Mihashi is not really his friend. Um, just on the basis that, you know, Mihashi never actually attempts to get in contact with Abe. It almost feels like he's, like, avoiding him. Um, so I, I think what I liked about that is that we kind of got this scene where Abe ends up really trying his hardest to not lose it with Mihashi. And you almost root for him to lose it because you really get a sense in this scene just why it's so frustrating sometimes, why Mihashi can be so frustrating. Because, you know, uh, Abe is asking uh, Mihashi, you know, hey, why, like, who are you supposed to be watching? You're not supposed to be watching the pitcher. Who are you supposed to be watching? And then there's just this constant cut back and forth between the two of their faces. Abe, you see, desperately trying to keep his anger held in. While uh, Mihashi is just struggling to just say anything to him. <laughs> um, like he, And it's like, it's just a simple adder, answer. All he has to say is the batter. Yeah. Like, literally, that is who they, they are here for. And he just, and you know, it's just this elongated back and forth between the two, without dialogue, just outside outside of uh, Mihashi's muttering. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, like, in that moment, I felt like I really understood Abe. <laughs> Uh, just everything he's been trying to fight. Um, and I thought that was good. I kind of liked that. I thought it was kind of, you know, I'm generally rooting for Mihashi, but it was kind of nice to get a sense of where Abe was coming from. And also the fact, you know, it's easier to kind of do that when you see he's trying to improve himself. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was it was funny to see sort of like him taking seriously the fact that he doesn't have a relationship with Mahashi like he thinks he ought to that he realizes right. some problems with himself even as other teammates coming up and criticizing him and saying that like oh why are you yelling all the time he's like what <laughs> am I yelling you know he just doesn't even realize it about himself um, right I think one, one thing that I thought was interesting was uh at the end of the episode when they're strategizing about what to do in their next game Abe says that his goal is to get a shutout in order to, right. you know, reduce the work on Mihashi. And Hanai's sort of like, well, yeah, I mean, obviously it would be best if they don't score any runs. You know, none of us wants to get exhausted and play an extra innings game. 
Um, but I'm not sure if that's the goal. And then everyone gets really excited. They're like, yeah, we're going to shut them out. We're going to practice so hard that we don't let them score a single run. And then they <coughs> all declare our goal is to let them score no runs. Right. What, what did you think about that as, as a goal? Uh, I thought that was uh, I thought that was actually pretty interesting because I think it also kind of highlights the sort of vulnerable position they're in because okay they did manage to beat like the toughest team in the entire district already yeah um but they are also entirely dependent on Mihashi right now uh, Mihashi is pretty much they are like Tajima was kind of their other saving grace there. Yeah. But Tajima has also been injured. He also injured himself playing in that first game. Right. So the stakes are still kind of high there for them. So the fact that they act like we kind of already have a sense that this is a team that's kind of like it is not as stable as it really should be. <coughs> but like the fact that they need to sh like the fact that they actually need to plan around a shutout kind of also speaks to how vulnerable this team actually is. Well, I well, I, I think I read it a little differently. Oh, okay. I read it as um, them being arrogant. So oh, okay. yeah, they beat the best team in the bracket. So now they're not taking seriously the threat from other teams. Right. So they're in like the only goal should be win, do what it takes to win. Because if you lose, you're out of the tournament. Right. Um. But they're creating secondary goals, and they're saying like, oh no, when we 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 know we're gonna win. That, you know, of course we're going to win. We beat Tosei. How could we lose to this team? So because we're going to win, we need to preserve Mihashi for the next round, which is going to be a real challenge. Right. So our goal is now to get a shutout. So what I think the show will do, and I don't know, but my guess is that, like, they're going to give up a run in the first inning. And it's just going to break them a little bit because their right. whole plan was how to get a shutout. And then when they don't, they're going to realize, you know, it's going to be tougher for them to be resilient. Right. Um, I, I do kind of get that. At the same time, I do also kind of feel like... Um, I, I think it's also kind of acknowledging the fact that Mihashi really cannot play at the level all the time that he did at Tosei. Mm -hmm. uh, I, th I think you are right. I do think that is what's going on here. I But I also do kind of get the sense that getting a shutout may also be what they actually... Like, that may be their only real strategy here at this point. Because, like, Miha Because, you know, Abe even talks about that himself, or, you know, he thinks about it. Like, Mihashi is just, like, losing weight constantly. And, you know, he's already a pretty scrawny guy. Yeah. Uh, just for, through the just the amount of sheer effort he's going through, you know, just the amount of work he's putting in right now. You know, he just can't last doing it that much. Right. So, I, I do think you're right. There is... I, I think... I think the team is getting arrogant. Just themselves. I think Abe does... Is, it comes off... It seems to me that Abe is a bit more grounded here. Uh, but he just can't... But he is trying to do what's best for Mihashi. He almost seems like... It sounds weird to say this. He almost kind of feels like a dad to Mihashi to me. And I guess that's kind of what's what's painting this scene for me. Right. Yeah. I don't know. It, it'll be interesting to see what they emphasize coming forward. But I'm excited for them to get back in a game. Um, and... I think, yeah, I think the character of Daichi will be interesting because, you know, he's a freshman. He's kind of a prodigy for the other team. Right. 
Uh, he's a catcher, but, you know, he's always worried about embarrassing himself in front of his seniors. Uh, but also, he's clearly the most skilled one there. Uh, and Nishiura is basically just, their whole plan is just to intentionally walk him, like to not right. give him the opportunity to contribute to his team and sort of demoralize <clears throat> them through that. Right. Um, It'll be interesting to see, because I can't imagine they'll actually do that the whole game. They'll be put in situations where they have to pitch to him. Right. Uh, I'm, I'm also interested to see if there's some back and forth between Abe, who is... Abe is more focused on being strategic. Like, he, he wants to win no matter what. He wants to win as efficiently as possible. And Hanai, the captain, who's, like, not sure that it's okay for you to just intentionally walk the best hitter, right. you know, whether that's a bad look and whether like you don't deserve to win if you refuse to face their best hitter. Right. But at the same time, this series has always kind of, you know, it's always had a bit more of a pragmatic approach to baseball. No, I, uh, I agree. I'm just wondering whether that'll hold up, like whether there'll oh, be right. some conflict on the team over like, Guys, we may be winning, but we're not winning the right way, you know? Right. Um, which, is, which is interesting, too, because in a way, that's kind of the same problem that Mihashi went through when he was back at, you know, Mihoshi Academy. Right. Where, because, like, nobody on that team even wanted to try and, like, understand what Mihashi's, uh, like, real talent was, you know? They wanted to win the right way with, like, the fastball. And, you know, yeah. he had very slow fast... You know, he had a very slow fastball, so... I'm wondering if that's going to be a mentality that does pervade through with Hanai. Um, also, I was kind of thinking about this as well. Uh, something that does kind of go along with what you were saying before about the team, like, getting a little arrogant. I do think it's interesting that Abe did assume that nobody would have any data. Like, they are probably not going to look up any data on Nishiura. Yeah. Um... Because, you know, it's like, oh, you know, we're just a small team. And, you know, they're a small team as well. But like, it's they like, know you beat Tosei. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, obviously, you guys are going to be... You guys are clearly going to get the spotlight shined at you, on you at this point. Yeah. Cool. Well, I do think that <laughs> Sorry. wraps it up for this week. Sorry, I didn't know how to respond to that. I apologize for making know, it awkward for you. I didn't know how to follow it up, so... Let's follow it up by saying goodbye. Our logo design is by James Ratcliffe. The theme music is Fly High by Burnout Syndromes, covered and performed by Luke Bartka. You can follow Koshiancast on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter, and our email is koshiancast at gmail.com. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. We will be back next week with the best and worst from the world of sports anime, and until then, keep training.